So today uh, we are celebrating Epiphany. Um, uh, it is not actually Epiphany. Technically, tomorrow is Epiphany. Uh, today is the twelfth day of Christmas. Um, if you're a Shakespeare fan, tonight is the twelfth night, and um, uh, that means that tomorrow is Epiphany. Epiphany is the the uh, holiday at the conclusion of the season of Christmas tide. The the twelve days of Christmas in the song are the uh, the season of Christmas tide. And it is now over, and uh, we should wait until tomorrow to celebrate Epiphany, but in the United States, uh, it's increasingly common for churches to celebrate Epiphany on uh, the second Sunday after Easter. We are celebrating it today for that reason. Um, Epiphany is a, is a fancy church word, and it means, it means to have a revelation or an insight, some particular um, uh, a visionary concept that has, that has become clear to us as an Epiphany. We use it that way in ordinary English as well. An epiphany. I had an epiphany the other day, and, and uh, that's, that's what the word comes from. It's, it's from a, a word in the Bible that, that has to do with seeing. The word phino um, has, has to do with seeing. Words like phenomenon are something you see. A fantasy is something you see in your head um, that um, uh, maybe um, uh, nobody else sees, but, but it, is, it is something that, that is in your head. A phantom is something that you see that, that isn't even there. So um, anything with fan in it has to do with seeing. And in this case, we're talking about uh, something that we see uh, because of an insight we've had. We've had an insight, an epiphany, that helps us to see things. And this refers to the story of the wise men. The wise men came and they saw the baby Jesus, or maybe the two-year-old Jesus. But for whatever reason, uh, they, they saw Jesus. And uh, so, so that is what Epiphany remembers. And because it is set at the end of uh, the season of Christmas tide, the the question um, uh, is, what is it for? And the answer is, Epiphany is the is the is the time of the Christian calendar where we kind of say, all right, is there anything else we can gain from Jesus, uh, the story about Jesus before he enters his public ministry? Next week, we're going to celebrate the baptism of Jesus. And of the four biographies of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four uh, begin the, the telling of the story of Jesus' ministry with his baptism. Uh, but two of them include stories that happen before his baptism. One of them is the, the Gospel of Luke, and he tells two different stories about how Jesus did things in the temple. Once as a baby... Um, and then again, as a 12-year-old, Jesus had these two visits to the temple. And so those are things that happened to Jesus before he entered his, his public ministry. And then in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel, we've got the story we heard today, the story about the wise men who came to see Jesus. And uh, it begins with the wise men, but it concludes with this murderous rampage that Herod goes on when the wise men outwit him. So there are these stories and that's it. That's the totality of what we know about Jesus from the time he was born at Christmas all the way until he entered his public ministry at about the age 30. Those three stories. And so the question for us is, is why is this important? I mean, it's interesting, just kind of in a, I never knew that about Jesus, and, uh, you know, it's kind of nice to fill in some of the gaps, but, but um, is there anything important? Well, there is, of course, and that's why we celebrate the holiday. What is important is more clear, perhaps, if we imagine ourselves in the position of Matthew's first audience. 
Uh, they would not have been reading. They certainly would have been looking at screens. Uh, they would have been hearing. And so they probably would have heard a larger chunk of the gospel in one setting than we do today. Today, because we have books, we can take it home and read it later. Uh, we can we can get um, smaller chunks and really zero in on one tiny bit of scripture. But Matthew's listeners would have heard a larger passage of scripture all at one time. And so Matthew sets something up for them. And what he does is he tells them in the familiar story where Joseph is visited uh, by the angel. Joseph is thinking about divorcing Mary and the angel visits him and says uh, not to be concerned to go ahead and uh, make uh, Mary his wife. The, jo- the angel says to him, uh, she will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So this is just five or six verses back. Um, but it's where we first hear the name Jesus. What does it mean? He'll be called Jesus for he will name his people. He will um, uh, save his people from their sin. And then Matthew concludes chapter 1 by repeating the name Jesus, hoping we will hear that again. He says, um, and he, Joseph, named him, the baby, Jesus. And we should, because we just heard this, we should echo in our head because he will name, he will, he will save his people from their sin. So Matthew's done that work to set us up. And then he tells us the story about how the wise men came to visit Jesus. And what he says is that uh, the wise men from the east came in the days of King Herod. And they asked, where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? And Herod was frightened. And they looked it up in the prophet and they found the answer. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. So twice in in just a few verses of Scripture, we've heard uh, people. We've heard about his people. Jesus will save his people from their sins. And now we hear about the, the one who will come to shepherd my people Israel. So who is this people? Well, the answer is Israel. Israel is the Jews. Israel is the people of God. That's who uh, this shepherd, uh, this uh, ruler will shepherd, my people Israel. And he will save his people, again, the Jews, from their sins. So, case closed. But who are the first people to worship Jesus? Matthew has gone to the trouble of setting it up so we know who Jesus' people are. They're the people he's going to save from their sins, and they are the people who he is going to shepherd, the Jews. But who worships him? Well, the answer is these scholars from the East, these wise men. They enter, when they saw the the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. They worshipped him. The first people in Scripture to, to worship Jesus are not his people. They're not God's people, Israel. They are Gentiles. They are perhaps Chaldeans, perhaps Babylonians. Uh, the Scriptures don't tell us. They're sometimes called Magi. But they are people from the East, people who don't have a Bible. They don't know where Jesus is supposed to be born. They don't know about Bethlehem and, and uh, shepherding God's people. They are strangers to the people and story of God. So why is that important? Well, first of all, let's have a show of hands. How many of us are ethnic Jews? 
Well, exactly. None of us are. Uh, are, are if you are, that's great. Um, but most of us have our connection to Jesus through adoption into the family of people of God. Uh, uh, that was not always true in the early days of the church. Uh, the, the congregations would have included both Gentiles and Jews. And so Paul took a, a, a stab at, at interpreting what had happened when, the, uh, when, the, when Jesus was born uh, in a way that could be understood by both Gentiles and Jews. And that's the passage we heard uh, from Ephesians. And Paul is at a loss for words. He's trying to explain how significant this is. And if you read the first three chapters of the book of uh, the letter to the Ephesians, Paul is just falling over himself to come up with words big enough to describe what God has done. So he begins with one sentence. He says, I, I am a prisoner for this reason, for Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he's so, so um, struck by what it is he's got to say that he goes off in a new direction and doesn't come back for a dozen verses. Um, <laughs> he says, surely you've already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you. And then he says, because there was a mystery. What is a mystery? A mystery is a secret. A mystery is the thing you need an epiphany to understand. The mystery is what you have until you actually get the epiphany. And then everything becomes clear. So Paul says, and count the number of times Paul says the word mystery in this passage. He says, the You've already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, how I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. So you can have an epiphany too. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed. It's been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is this mystery? What is the mystery that's been a secret and has now been revealed? The answer in verse 6, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body and shares in the promise of Christ Jesus through the Spirit. What Paul is saying, what Matthew is telling us when the wise men come to visit Jesus, is that, is that Gentiles are now included in the work that God is doing. Up until this point, it's been the insiders. It's been the people of God. It's been the Jews, the people who have had a long-term relationship with God. They've been part of the covenant family of God. And Matthew is saying, and Paul is saying, the circle has gotten bigger. That it is the nature of people. It is the nature of the world to draw circles, right? There's me and the people who I hang with. Um, they're the people who are like me, the people who are my political party, the people who went to the same school as me, people who are from the same town as me, people from my family or clan or tribe. There's the group inside the circle. And then there's the group outside the circle. That's the way the world works. And what Paul is saying and what Matthew is telling us is that God is doing something new. God is drawing the circles bigger. God is taking those groups and saying, you need to increase the size of of that circle. So Paul talks elsewhere about how, how there is no longer free nor slave. There is no longer male and female. There is no longer Jew or Greek, but all are one in Christ. That's what God is doing here. The meaning of epiphany is not just that some wise men saw a baby. The meaning of epiphany is that wise men were led into the house. Jews don't associate with Greeks. Jews don't associate with Chaldeans. The wise men, though, 
were let into the house where they could worship Jesus, the first people to worship Jesus. Years ago when I was hired at Bell Labs, I showed up. Um, I, was, I was interviewing in January, um, but my actual first date of, of arrival was uh, in the beginning of March. And uh, I arrived the same week as the, the uh, department that I was joining was having a celebration, having a party. These were the days of the phone company. There was money. And um, they had, they had uh, a party to celebrate having shipped this product that I had had nothing to do with. They had finished, and it had been a week or two, and they scheduled this, this celebration uh, with uh, dining and dancing at a very uh, posh restaurant. And, um, and I decided, well, you know, that's not my thing. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't involved with this product. I shouldn't have anything to do with the party. Um, it's not my deal, right? I don't want to look like a gate crasher or something. So I just decided I wasn't going to go to that party. And uh, the, the managers sent out the usual um, you know, uh, email that said everyone's invited, but it was kind of a pro forma sort of thing. And I said, well, it's not my party. But Jeff Donnelly, who is one of my coworkers, he came to my office and he said, uh, you have to come to the party, you know that. And I said, actually, I don't know that. Why should I come to the party? It's not my deal. And he explained that I was expected to be part of the, part of the celebration. Paul is saying in Ephesians that that's what the church is like. Paul is saying this is why he's in prison. This is important. See, if Paul had just communicated the message of the gospel to Jews, he never would have gotten any trouble. No one would ever have denounced him. He never would have been arrested by the authorities. There never would have been riots. But Paul says this is important. How important is it? Look what Paul says. He says, to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery, this is verse 9, to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So everybody can see, not just Jews, but also Gentiles. Everyone can see what God has been up to. And then he says the most amazing thing. He says in verse 10, so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul says, up in heaven, celestial beings have been wondering for all eternity, what is God up to? And they've never been clear. Paul says, God points to the church and says, do you get it? Do you see what I'm doing? And the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places look at the church and say, Oh, now I see what you've been up to all this time. It's important. The only question for us is, is it true? I think a lot of us, when we hear this, our response is to be like me at that party and say, You know, this is not my deal. I'm not on the inside. I'm, I'm an outsider. I don't belong in your party. And Paul is saying, no, this is what God's been doing for all eternity. You do belong in the party. And of course, the other side of it is to say, is it true of us as a church? Does God point at us? Or does he just point at some churches? 
I think that there's, there's a real danger in small denominational churches to say other people do that. Other people go and invite them to the party. I think we can say large, mega churches, non-denominational churches, that's their thing. They invite people to the party. Our deal is different. Our deal is to minister to the people who are like us, the people who have the same theological background, who have the same education, who are financially the same, whose lives are messy in the same ways that ours are messy. Paul is saying, no, this is important. The circles have to be drawn bigger and bigger and bigger to include people who are not like us, the outsiders. He says, this is why I'm in prison. God is pointing at the church up in heaven and saying, do you see what I'm doing? Let's be the kind of church that God can point to. Amen.